You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. And if you'd like to, you can follow along with our sermon notes this morning by accessing them on our Google Drive folder that's available through the bulletin. So I encourage you to do that as well. Revelation chapter 8. We had been working through uh, the seal judgments, the lamb opening the seal. You'll remember that there was a question as to whether there was one worthy who could open uh, the scroll that was sealed with seven seals, and Jesus was the one who was found to be worthy to open the seals and to open the scroll. And so we had been working through the seals, and then we took a a delay from 6 and 7 because the text takes a delay from 6 and 7, and we get, the, we get that picture in uh, Revelation chapter 7 of the 144,000 that are being sealed, uh, the innumerable amount of people that are before the throne praising God that have been uh, saved and rescued into the one people of God. And so we pick up now in Revelation chapter 8 with the opening of the seventh seal. Now you remember last week we we stopped and paused a little bit to reflect upon the uh, teaching here at the end of chapter 7 where God has rescued these people and brought them into an eternal state that um, ultimately removes many of the things that we would grumble and complain about. And last week we looked at grumbling and complaining and battling discontentment with our future hope. Uh, we saw specifically from a summary sentence standpoint that we fight against the temptation to grumble and complain today by constantly reminding ourselves that all of the discontentments we experience on this earth will ultimately find their greatest fulfillment in the world to come. We talked about complaining, weakening our witness, how it works against grace, that uh, part of what the gospel is about, it's about rescuing people to give thanksgiving to God, That, that the gospel is meant to save people, not just saving them from hell, but saving them back to their original state of being created beings that worship and give thanks to God. In all aspects of our life, we are designed to rescue people back to that stated purpose. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. We would be joining the multitudes that are in heaven right now, praising God before the throne. But God leaves us here to continue to rescue people back to that state of giving thanks to God. We said that complaining elevates the importance of personal comfort, that revelation is all about us ultimately being prepared to not enjoy personal comfort, that there is many tribulations that are to come, that we are to persevere through those tribulations. In fact, we said that Revelation seems to be prepping us for a wilderness-type experience where we are looking towards the promised land. And so we should be prepared for situations that would tempt us to grumble and complain and instead seek to give uh, gratitude to God for all that he's given to us. We talked about holy complaining, that we can plead with God for help during our undesirable times, but we can also praise him in the midst of pleading for help for his um, good power. We also talked about inviting others to join us in prayer, whereas we are far more often prone to invite people to join us in our complaining. Um, that we said last, kind of last week, kind of a, a culmination of all this, that if it's not worth praying about, it's not worth complaining about. That if we're complaining about something, we are obviously wanting something to be changed. We obviously should then take it to the one who is capable of changing our circumstances if he desires. So we talked from an application standpoint last week, praying for greater conviction about complaining, feeding our heart with reminders and promises of God's goodness so that we can praise him accurately, seeking ways to express that gratitude for God's goodness, 
uh, both to him and to others around us, avoiding temptation to grumble and complain. We talked about how social media is a great breeding ground for opportunities to complain and that we need to avoid temptation to grumble and complain. Uh, We should seek to fix those things that we can and to pursue help when tempted to complain. And so that brings us now to Revelation chapter 8. encourage you to listen to last week's sermon if you weren't here, um, because I think it's, it's, uh, it's filled with application for what we're learning here in Revelation. But let's start reading in Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. We're going to read through verse 5 as we look at the opening of the seventh seal. It says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Our summary sentence for today, God acts in response to the prayers of the saints, not as though the saints dictate the future by their prayers, forcing God to act in ways that they desire. But instead, the saints pray in line with what they know about God's desire for the future, ensuring that their prayers will be answered as they pray God's will for the future. For our kids, God acts in response to the prayers of Christians when Christians pray for his will. So God acts in response to the prayers of the saints, but he's not acting in such a way where the prayers of the saints then dictate what happens in the future. God is not allowing the prayers of the saints to Uh, to determine what the future looks like. Uh, The prayers of the saints don't force God to act in certain ways that we desire, but instead, as Christians, as saints, we pray in line with what we know about God's desire for the future. And when we do that, it ensures that our prayers will be answered. Um, If I'm praying based on God's revealed will for what I know he wants to do, if I'm praying for that to happen, I am ensuring myself that God will answer my prayers because I'm praying for the very things that God desires to do. Um, And so what we're going to see today is that prayer certainly changes things in the sense that God has determined that our prayers are how he responds and acts according to his will. Okay, So, So God doesn't respond to our prayers and act according to our desires and our will. Instead, he allows our prayers to be the way that he um, enacts his will. Okay, so God acts in response to the prayers of the saints, and we're going to see this. What we find here is the seventh seal is open, and there's silence in heaven. There's silence in such a way where these prayers can rise before God. Um, it says that the angel comes to the altar and mix the incense with the prayers of the saints, and they rise before God, and then immediately action starts to take place. It says the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake, and as we'll see, the seven trumpet judgments begin to unfold in response to this uh, flinging of coals upon the earth. What we're going to see today is the connection between why these coals of fire are flung upon the earth. They're flung upon the earth in response to the prayers of the saints. The saints are praying in such a way that the, that the uh, actions in heaven begin to unfold in response to those prayers. It's God answering the prayers of the saints and bringing about his justice through judgment 
upon the earth. And so God is responding to the prayers of the saints because they are praying in accordance to his will. We'll see that unfold today. Ultimately, he is vindicating the faithful, the saints, by demonstrating his sovereignty through the judgment that will unfold as we continue to work through Revelation. Some introductory notes real quick for you. Um, the trumpet judgments, as I said, will, will be uh, the next thing that we look at here in Revelation. They're going to flow out of this seventh seal, and so a lot of commentators understand the meaning here that the seven trumpets are the seventh seal. So as this seventh seal is opened, we have silence, we have the prayers of the saints, and then we have this beginning judgment where, where fire is thrown upon the earth and there's flashes of lightning, thunder, rumblings, earthquake, and then verse 6 picks up. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them, and they will begin to blow these trumpets. And so ultimately this, this flows out of the seventh seal. Um, we've already said the seventh seal is directly tied to the prayers of the saints. The saints are praying and crying out to God for action and for movement, and God responds to those prayers. Uh, silence is often a precursor to God's divine judgment in Scripture. Um, the picture in the Old Testament is silence uh, goes along with the idea of God preparing to act. Um, a couple of passages that I'll read to you real quick, just so we can, again, see. There's, there's obviously new stuff in Revelation, but there's a lot of stuff in Revelation that flows from the Old Testament. This is how God has always worked in regards to bringing about judgment and salvation to his people. In Habakkuk 2, verse 20, um, there's a passage here that talks about, um, says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And then as you continue to read through Habakkuk, God begins to act in certain ways. But prior to acting, the Lord is viewed as in his temple. We certainly have a temple image taking place here in the book of Revelation with the altar and the incense and the priestly type work being performed by the angels. And so God is working in his temple here in heaven. There is silence uh, in creation in, uh, in anticipation of his acting. We see that in Habakkuk chapter 2. We also see it in Zephaniah chapter 1. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 7. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guest. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. So we see the day of the Lord coming in, in the book of Zephaniah. We see that silence happening as he begins to prepare to act. We also see this in Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 13. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. It goes on in Zechariah chapter 3 to show God acting um, in response to things that are occurring there at that time. And so we see in, in these different situations, and again, we're referencing the Old Testament because the original readers of Revelation would have understood the context of much of what they were reading from Revelation being this is how God has always acted. This is how God has always communicated his coming judgment and his coming salvation. So we think in terms of Revelation being a book about God's coming judgment and his coming action. Well, for the Old Testament people, they read these books, Zechariah, Zephaniah, Habakkuk. They were future books for them as well, right? They were, they were letters or, or books that were being passed along. This is what God's going to do in the future. And so they would have been very familiar with this type of language, that there was silence as God began to move 
and to act. And so we can kind of see that in the context of the Old Testament. Um, It's also understood from extra-biblical Jewish writings. So uh, Jewish people that were writing at this time, but it's not considered canon in the scriptures, just Jewish writers who wrote about culture. Um, Silence was always tied to divine judgment coming, and silence was also always tied to the confirmation that the prayers of the faithful were being heard. So this concept of silence is used in Jewish writings to signify, one, that the prayers of the saints are being heard. And number two, that judgment is coming. We certainly see that here in Revelation. This scene also parallels the Jewish act of sacrifice. Um, I'm going to give you some passages that we can look at real quickly, um, but maybe passages you want to go back and look at more extensively on your own time. In Leviticus chapter 16, verse 12, it says, and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side, and in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the, flood, some of the blood with his finger seven times. We see the priestly act here of bringing incense before God, very similar to the language we see in Revelation. And so it parallels that scene. It also parallels God's way of judging in the book of Ezekiel. We referenced Ezekiel chapter 9 a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the sealing, and we talked about God sealing his people in Ezekiel chapter 9 before he brought judgment. Verse 4, it talks about sending out a messenger who would go through and mark the heads of those um, who were not to be touched, who were not to be harmed, And then in Ezekiel chapter 10, let's look there real quick. Ezekiel chapter 10, we see a real similar response to God after sealing his people, which we saw in chapter 7 of Revelation. And then we see God acting in judgment in Revelation 8. Ezekiel chapter 9, God seals his people. And in Ezekiel chapter 10, it says, Then I looked, and behold, on the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim, There appeared above them something like a sapphire in appearance like a throne. And he said to the man clothed in linen, Go in among the whirling wheels underneath the cherubim. Fill your hands with burning coals from between the cherubim and scatter them over the city. And judgment comes from God. I mean, this is pictured in the form of coals being spread over the city. So real similar to what we're reading here in Revelation. Uh, Trumpets are really important in regards to God's coming judgment as well. So if you read in the Old Testament, trumpets are used um, a lot of times um, both for judgment and for the announcement of things that are happening, coronation of kings. Um, it was used as a part of worship, but it was certainly used in battle. Um, it was used as a, as a sign that, that, that the, the army was coming, that the army was about to attack. We certainly see that in Joshua chapter 6, and there may be some parallels here in Revelation chapter 8 and uh, Joshua chapter 6. You'll remember the story of Jericho. Uh, where the the children of Israel defeat Jericho. This is where uh, Rahab was living and her family is spared. But you'll remember the children of Israel conquer Jericho simply by walking around the city, right? And they've got seven trumpets that blow and the the walls come falling down and God's judgment uh, really comes upon this this city in Canaan. And so trumpets used in the form of uh, judgment in the Old Testament. Uh, Trumpets are also used as a uh, a declaration of salvation in Matthew chapter 24. Again, we've got trumpets that are being handed out here in Revelation chapter 8 that sets the stage for the trumpet judgments. Uh, but trumpets can also be a sign of salvation in Matthew chapter 24, verse 31. 
Um, And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. We've already seen God's angels having authority to the four corners of the earth, holding back God's judgment. Here we see their salvation authority where they are gathering God's elect from all corners of the earth when the trumpets are blown we also see trumpets being blown in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4 to mark the return of Jesus and the raising of the dead to everlasting life. So a lot of things going on here in Revelation 7, a uh, lot of uh, things that kind of set the stage for what's going to unfold. I mean, Revelation chapter 8, a lot of things that are going to set the stage for what unfolds with those seven trumpets. But we certainly have a priestly scene here, a temple scene with the angel offering incense before God. Uh, we understand the incense to be the prayers of the saints and God acting upon those prayers. So let's look briefly this morning at what's taking place here in Revelation chapter 8, God responding to the prayers of the saints because they are praying his will. First of all, the plans of God are purposefully delayed. The plans of God are purposefully delayed. For our kids, God is delaying his judgment on purpose. It says, when the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So there's a delay in God acting here. We've seen some glorious scenes in heaven, God sealing his people, uh, an innumerable amount of people worshiping God before the throne, giving him eternal praise and glory for all that he has done. And then all of that kind of stops here in chapter eight. The lamb opens the seventh seal and there's silence in heaven for about half an hour. The plans of God are being delayed here briefly and they're being done so purposefully. Number one, the silence in heaven is intentional. We said the praise and worship ceases temporarily. The lamb opens the final seal of God's plan and the silence and delay are designed. Remember, the seals and the scroll are all of God's plans kind of contained in written form. And so as they're being opened, we're understanding this to be God's plans. God gives the authority for the the, um, four horsemen to ride out. God gives the authority for judgment to come upon the earth. Everything is flowing from his plans. So as, as the lamb opens the seventh seal and there's, there's a delay, there's silence for about half an hour, this also should be understood as God's intentional plan. The lamb extends opportunity for repentance prior to this coming judgment. And I certainly believe that this silence in heaven, this delay for half an hour, pictures God's long suffering towards creation. It's a picture of God's long-suffering towards the rebellion and sin against him, God desiring that his elect would come to salvation. Um, 2 Peter 3 talks talks extensively about that. But also, even as the trumpets begin to blow, and trumpets typically are used as a warning sign, uh, Revelation chapter 9, verse 20 As the trumpets begin to to blow, it says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. The text would not mention their lack of repentance if repentance wasn't being extended to them. It would not mention their failure to repent 
if repentance was not possible. So God is continuing in his grace and his mercy towards unbelievers. He's extending opportunity for repentance. Before all of Revelation comes to a head and before we see Revelation 19 and 20, where everything really starts to come to an end and and God comes back and Jesus comes and, and, and ends all things and ushers us into eternity, before all that happens, God continues to delay things. He continues to wait He continues to extend opportunities for repentance. Now, we're going to see many will fail to take advantage of that. Many will fail to repent, but it certainly reminds us that the silence in heaven is intentional. It's designed by God's grace for all to come to repentance. But we're also reminded here that the delay in judgment is temporary. It's intentional. The silence in heaven is intentional. This is part of God's plan for him to wait and delay and give more and more opportunity for repentance, more and more opportunity for the gospel to go forth, more and more opportunity for every tribe, nation, and tongue to be represented. But that delay will come to an end. That half hour will stop at some point, and the delay in judgment will no longer longer, uh, continue. It'll be simply temporary. The delay is figuratively not long. It's only about half an hour. Um, And I think we could read potentially too much into trying to figure out exactly what that means and what the time stamp is for that. Um, But again, we've talked in terms of of numbers and time in in Revelation meant to convey either long periods of time or short periods of time, right? When we get to Revelation 20, we're going to talk about the thousand-year reign being a large number to indicate a long amount of time. Here, about half an hour in relationship to a thousand years, short amount of time. Short amount of time, okay? Um, and I think it communicates to us the suddenness and the unexpectedness of God's judgment coming. He will not delay forever. The delay is designed to end at a specified time. And God will come and evil will be punished. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37, it says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls." This is that same picture of the idea that when Jesus comes back, some will flee, some will hide, some will cry out to the rocks and the mountains to hide them. They will shrink back. But the author of Hebrews says, that's not us, right? That's not us. That's not our response to the return of Jesus. Because we've persevered, we won't shrink back. We won't shrink back. Our soul does have pleasure in him. He has pleasure in us. The author of Hebrews reminds us, it's going to be a little while. It's going to be a little while, but the coming of the one will come, and he will not delay. It's intentional. That delay is intentional, but it's not, it's not forever. It's temporary. It will come to an end. I think also the delay communicates a well-planned act by God. So as God begins to, to unleash judgment upon the earth, he's demonstrating, he's demonstrating to us through the, through the time of silence that this is well thought out, this isn't a knee-jerk reaction. Right? We, we talk, we've talked before about, uh, about the wisdom of sometimes waiting to make decisions when, when we're in a process where we don't know what to do, um, that we can, we can act on emotions and sometimes regret the decisions that we make. Um, 
This isn't a knee-jerk reaction by God. For example, yesterday, um, somebody, somebody that, that, um, that is employed by Trinity made a rash decision yesterday and decided to not work at Trinity anymore and, and gave very little time to think through that, that decision and, and the ramifications of that. Just decided, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I'm thinking, like, you couldn't even give that 24 hours. Like, like, there was no reason to make that decision today. You could have thought through that a little bit longer. And, nope, I'm going to make that decision right now. It's like, wow, what a knee-jerk reaction to a situation that wasn't going the way that you wanted it to go, and now you're just done, gone. That's not what God does when he brings judgment on the earth. This isn't a knee-jerk reaction. This isn't a, a, uh, a last-minute thought here. I think the delay even communicates, man, this is well thought out. Like there, there's no question here what is about to happen is it, something that, that's coming from a wise, good, gracious God. The delay, the delay communicates a well-planned act. Number two, not only are the plans of God purposefully delayed, the prayers of the saints are practically answered. The prayers of the saints are practically answered. For our kids, God hears and answers our prayers. I think this is one of the biblical truths that we've been told so much that we probably take it for granted. But the picture here, the picture here is our prayers coming before a holy God who controls this entire universe and him being intentional enough to listen to the prayers of his creation. I mean, just, just, think, just stop and think about that for a second that God desires to hear our prayers and that God responds and answers our prayers. I mean, that's the picture that's taking place here in Revelation chapter 8. This, this God who's being worshipped by every creature in heaven, every creature on earth is directing its praise and glory to him. And we see silence in heaven right now and we see these, these prayers coming before him so that he can intentionally give his ear to them. Our prayers, number one, are heard at the throne of God. Our prayers from earth reach heaven and are treated with great care. Our prayers from earth reach heaven and are treated with great care. We've seen our prayers, we've seen the prayers of the saints mentioned a couple of times in Revelation. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. And each time we see great care being, um, we see, that we see our prayers being uh, described with great care. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, um, it says, and when he had taken the scroll, remember this is just as Jesus who is taking the scroll and unleashing the scroll by breaking the seals, the four living creatures, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now again, a lot of pictures here in Revelation that are meant to convey things that, that probably aren't always reality. So do I really believe there's a golden bowl in heaven where our prayers are, are all like congregated? Probably not, because it's, it's hard to actually put prayers into a tangible bowl, right? But the picture here, I think, is the great value, the great care that God has for our prayers. I mean, they're being described as being contained in a golden bowl, right? We've seen the prayers of the saints also mentioned in uh, Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. So uh, just a few uh, verses down, when the seals are being opened, we see the, 
the martyred saints crying out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They're each given a white robe. They're told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow saints and their brothers should be complete. So God, giving great care to the prayers here, he doesn't ignore them. He doesn't, he doesn't dismiss them. Instead, he, uh, he continues to encourage them to pray for this because he encourages them that their prayers will be answered. And then obviously here we see uh, the, the value being placed upon the prayers of the saints, that they are, um, they are tied to this golden censer, uh, which would have been a container, maybe even a shovel that was used to, to bring the incense to the altar. Um, it's also going to be used to scoop coals out from underneath the fire to cast upon the earth. But these, these prayers are valued by God. They're rising before him as a, as a sweet aroma, and he answers those prayers. Psalm chapter 141, verse 2 is an Old Testament passage that carries the same picture. Psalm chapter 141, 1-2, it says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. David kind of understood this picture that would come later in Revelation. If you want to learn more about the altar of incense, just kind of on a side study, look at Exodus chapter 30, um, as God's giving instructions to his people um, about the tabernacle and the temple and, and their worship, Exodus 30 is heavy on the altar of incense. So if you just want to kind of read through and get a better understanding of that, I encourage you to do that. We won't take time to do it uh, right now this morning. I think we can also understand from this passage that God is aware of our trouble and is preparing to do something about it. And that should give us encouragement as we continue to work through our life, as we continue to experience things that we know will come to an end, Right? No more hunger, no more thirst, no more tears, Revelation 7 just told us about. Okay, so while we may not be enduring persecution, we're going to all experience difficulties at work for those of us that work this week. And for those of us that stay home, we're going to experience difficulties as well with our, with our kids. Things that will stop when Jesus comes back, right? Things that will go away when Jesus comes back. What this reminds us, though, is that God is aware of the troubles that we endure today, the results and the effects of sin that cause our kids to react to our leadership at home, uh, the difficulties that we experience at work, the pushback that we get because of sinful effects. God is aware of our troubles, and God is acting. He is preparing to act to do something about those troubles. When Jesus comes back, there's no more hunger. There's no more thirst. There's no more worry about work to provide for our families. We're fed and, and we're filled to our heart's content in eternity. We don't have any reasons to cry. So those of us that are dealing, and we, we prayed about some of these situations, those of us that are dealing either personally or with friends that are sick, that, that have cancer, those things all go away when Jesus acts. When Jesus finally acts in response to our prayers, all those things go away. And it's a reminder to us that God is aware of our trouble and he's preparing to do something about it. Number two, our prayers lead to God acting in judgment on earth. Our prayers, they're heard at the throne of God, and they lead to God acting in judgment on the earth. And this is certainly God acting. We see the peals of thunder, the rumblings, the flashes of lightning, the earthquake. All of that should remind us of Revelation chapter 4, verse 5. It says, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. 
This is, this is a description of, of the things that God controls. So if there's rumblings, if there's flashes of lightning, if there's thunder, if there's earthquakes happening, that's flowing from the throne of God. And so as this, um, this casting of fire upon the earth happens and it's um, accompanied by peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and earthquakes, this is God acting in judgment upon the earth. And as we've said, this is in response to the prayers of the saints. God's acts of judgment are in direct response to the church's prayers. The coals are being thrown, and it's tangible evidence that God is moving. The coals come from the same altar that the prayers were applied to. We can't miss that this morning. And so, I mean, today's sermon isn't isn't filled filled with a lot of information here. We're simply directing our attention back to the idea that our prayers matter and that our prayers, our prayers are used by God to bring about the book of Revelation. God is acting in chapter 8 in response to the prayers of the saints. That ought to encourage us that our prayers matter and that our prayers are important if they're properly informed. And that's the key. He is responding to the prayers of the saints because they are praying for his revealed will. And we're going to get to part of our application point is the fact that as we study through Revelation, this ought to better inform what we're supposed to be praying for. Right? Our prayer life, the things that we're praying for, it ought, to, it ought to include the salvation of people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Praying for missionaries who are laboring to get the gospel to people who don't know Jesus. Right? We pray for Chris and Melissa, recognizing that those prayers are sweet to God because we are praying for the gospel to go forth in areas where the gospel ha- has not reached. I mean, it's a dark area where Chris and Melissa is at. So the IMB and other mission organizations would probably consider Ugandan reached because Uganda has a lot of people claiming to be Christians. There's some dark areas in Uganda where the gospel hasn't penetrated. We can pray confidently knowing that God desires there to be people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And there are people laboring to make sure that that happens, that the gospel goes forth so that people from every tribe, nation, and tongue can respond. And we can pray confidently when, when we're praying for people that are sick We can take those prayers a step further and not just pray for healing for that individual, but to pray that Jesus would come back to prevent future sickness. Like that needs to be tied into our prayers. We can pray revelation by, yes, praying that God would heal the individual that we love dearly that's battling with cancer, but praying that ultimate healing would come, that Jesus would return and put an end to suffering, would put an end to tears. The book of Revelation begins to unfold more and more as the saints pray and God responds to those prayers. Our prayers unleash the power of God in judgment on evil. The prayers that are going before the throne of God are prayers for justice, prayers that God would act against evil and sin, praying that the end would come, the end of all things that frustrates the purposes of God. And we can pray confidently for those things. That's why I wanted you in your discussion groups this morning to talk about some of the things that we've already learned from the book of Revelation that we can pray for knowing that it's God's will. What are some things that maybe you came up with in your groups this morning? Things that we've learned in Revelation already. And I hope that we'll be more sensitive moving forward in Revelation to the type of things that we can pray for knowing that God's going to answer those prayers. But what are some things that maybe we've already talked about that we can pray for confidently knowing that God desires to answer those prayers? Okay, we can pray for uh, in the midst of the death of the martyrs that they would persevere in their faith, right? 
We can pray that as people are being persecuted and put to death for their faith, that they would persevere. Other things that we can pray for. Yep. Yep, so we can, we can pray for the, for the gospel to go forth. We can pray for the salvation of those around us and those around the world because we know that's part of God's desire and plan. God also expresses his hatred towards idolatry in the letters to the churches, right? So we can pray for each other. We can pray for the people in our accountability group as they share struggles and difficulties and temptations in their life. We can pray for victory over the idols of this world because sin is always tied to to some type of idol, some type of object, some type of thing in our life that is gaining supremacy over Christ. And so we can pray for the victory of individuals in our church towards idols creeping into their life. Other thoughts, things that that we've learned in Revelation that we can pray for confidently, knowing that those prayers are going to go to the throne of God, and we can be confident in the answering of those prayers. Yeah, praying for justice in situations. That could be stuff going on at work, right? That could be stuff that you could either complain about at work, things that aren't going the way that they should be, or you can recognize injustice at work and pray for the justice of God to, 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 to fill that situation. We can, we can see the heartbeat of God in the book of Revelation, and we can have a better informed prayer life by praying for things that we know God desires to do in the future, and we can be confident those prayers are going to go before the throne and that God desires to answer those prayers. Our prayers unleash the power of God in judgment on evil. Two quotes that I want to give to you this morning. First of all, from a guy named Marvin J. Newell, prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between his will and its accomplishment on earth. Prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between his will and its accomplishment on earth. I definitely think we see this here in this passage in Revelation. God's not changing his plans with these prayers. God's not allowing the prayers of the saints to now dictate what the future looks like. God is simply responding to the prayers of the saints who are praying for his will to be accomplished. And those prayers are what he's responding to here. Does God need the prayers? No. But we can't deny the fact that the prayers are present in this chapter and God is responding to them and the delay is ended and God begins to move in response to these prayers. I think it's probably important, too, that, that people's names here aren't mentioned as to who are the ones praying, right? Like, this isn't, this isn't the pastor of such and such church who was praying for these things, and God responds to that prayer, right? Because then you're like, we really need that guy to be praying, because if he's not praying, then this doesn't happen. But there aren't specific names given here, right? So, so you can be in sin and not be uh, laboring in prayer as we're commanded to do, but there are people that are, and God responds to those prayers. To me, I read this, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I want to be included in the prayers that are getting answered here. Because there, there are prayers that will be answered here. We don't, know, we don't know who's praying specifically. We know people are praying. The saints are praying, and God is responding. I want to be numbered in that group of people that are praying these prayers that get answered when Jesus begins to move and act in this way. Second quote. Prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven, but getting God's will done on earth. It's not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of God's willingness. Prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven. The saints aren't praying here in such a way where they want something to be done different from God's plan. 
but instead they are praying for God's will to be done on earth. And that certainly moves God to act, and it's not overcoming God's reluctance. God's not delaying here because he's reluctant to do something. God is very willing, and he moves and responds to these prayers. Some application truths that I want you to see from this chapter, from the beginning of this chapter, because we're going to get heavy into the seven trumpets and what they mean, but the stage has kind of been set here. With the silence in heaven at the breaking of the seal, the angels have been given their trumpets to prepare to blow them. And we see the the culmination of the prayers of the saints coming before God with the incense that's been mixed in with it. God responds to those prayers. I think we we can see from this section here, first of all, that God uses prayer to make a difference in the world. God, God uses prayer to make a difference in the world. And again, God doesn't need our prayers. God doesn't have to have our prayers, but by God's grace, he chooses to include us in his plan. He chooses to, help, he chooses to allow us to participate in his plan. He invites us to participate, and so God uses prayer to make a difference in the world. He's certainly responding to prayers here. James 5.16 talks about the power of the, the righteous man who prays, the, effect, the effects that his prayers can have. It encourages uh, encourages us and reminds us that prayer unleashes God's power. I don't know what what reasons y'all came up with in your discussion groups this morning as to why we don't pray as often as we should as Christians. Um, I think for me and my mentality is, is I'm a guy who likes to see immediate results. And oftentimes you don't see that with prayer. I mean, I'm a guy who likes to check things off the list. I'm a, I'm a guy who likes to get things done. When I even look at my list of things I need to do that for the day, I like to do the things that I can get done um, as quickly as possible because I like to see immediate results. So I know time's a factor in, in our prayer life, but if, if I'm being honest, for me, the way my personality works, the way my mind works, I like to see immediate results. And if I can't see immediate results, it's those things that, that, cause, us, that cause me to struggle to do them. Like, I want to see results by the end of the day. And I have to battle against that, especially in, in the aspects of prayer. Because there's some things that, that, that we're called to labor in prayer for for years, potentially, before we see any immediate results. And I love the points that, that Matt Chandler made in, in the, um, the video that we watched that, man, we're, we're, to, we're, to, we're to appeal to God constantly. Like, we're to keep coming to him and keep begging him and keep knocking on that door, knowing that he's, that he's able and desires to do the type of things that we're praying for. God uses prayer to make a difference in the world. Number two, we read Revelation to know how to pray in such a way to get our prayers answered. As we continue to read and study Revelation, I want us to do so in such a way where we begin to inform our prayer life better. We read Revelation to know how to pray in such a way to get our prayers answered. We're going to continue to see things in Revelation that are supposed to happen in the future that we can confidently pray to happen. It informs our prayer life. It gives us insight into the type of things that we're supposed to pray for. That ought to encourage us to pray even more because we are being told the type of things to pray for that will get answered. Imagine if we didn't have insight into God's plans for the future and we were praying that God would send Jesus back to bring, to bring an end to hunger, thirst, and, and, and the weeping. But we weren't, we weren't sure if that's what he wanted to do. 
Can you imagine trying to come up with the things that we want God to do in the future and not being assured that we know what he wants to do in the future? Man, we'd have a long list of things that we were praying for and hoping that God would answer. Man, I hope you'll factor into your plans for the future that we won't have reasons to cry anymore and that we won't have hunger and thirst, that those things will be removed. God gives us insight into his future so that we can pray confidently. We read Revelation and know how to pray. Number three, as we anticipate God's final victory over the forces of evil, it should lead us to pray more. What I know here is that God responds to the prayers of the saints and begins to move and act. I don't know when, when all this is supposed to happen, but I know it happens in response to praying. And so if prayers aren't going up, it's not happening yet. And so, so I want to be a part of praying for these things to happen because if I'm reading this text correctly, I'm reading that God responds to prayers for these things to happen. And so I certainly don't want the delay to be caused by a lack of prayers going up before the throne of God. As we anticipate God's final victory over the forces of evil, it should lead us to pray more. And number four, our prayers should be tied more to the glory of God than our own personal benefits and comfort. Now, again, that doesn't mean that that we dismiss the need or the desire to pray for things that are of personal interest to us. I mean, if I've got a friend that's got cancer, that's dying of cancer, I'm absolutely going to be motivated to pray for that person. But I need to tie into those prayers the glory of God and not just the personal comfort and benefits that answering that prayer would do for me. That I'm praying for the glory of God in my, in my request. Because if I'm doing so, God can fail to answer the healing part of that request but answer the most important part of that request, that in death of my loved one, he receives glory. Man, we're promised that Christians are going to die. We're promised that Christians are going to die by the sword. We should certainly expect that Christians are going to die by sickness. And we can pray that God receives glory in the midst of our troubles and our difficulties. I want to read to you Psalm chapter 18 as we get ready to finish up. See if you can see the parallels in Psalm chapter 18 to what we're studying here in Revelation. It's a psalm of David. It says, um, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. So you have this picture of David who's obviously traversing through some difficult times, and, and he's not complaining about it, right? Like, like David's not describing, I got all my buddies together while we were working, and I really unleashed on them how, how frustrated I am with life and, and my circumstances. Now he's, he's describing coming to the Lord in prayer crying out for help, right? In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Man, studying Revelation, now reading this, like I got this picture of of David's prayers coming before that throne room, right? Coming before him like incense on the altar. 
He says, in his temple. And we've seen kind of that temple picture in Revelation in heaven. Then look at verse 7. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coal of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torches. For you have a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you, I can run against a troop. And by my God, I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him might be good for you to take some time to read through the rest of that psalm. Because, man, when I read that, that is, that is Revelation chapter 8 happening in the past tense, right? David says, man, I'm going through difficult times, and I pray to God. And then he describes it. Before Revelation is ever written, he describes it like Revelation 8 is happening, right? He's talking about God coming down in the form of coals of fire and thunders and rumblings and earthquakes, and he's shattering his enemies and he's rescuing him. Man, we don't think in terms of that when we think of God answering our prayers, do we? Like when we take time to, to praise God for what he's been doing, we've never had anybody describe God answering a prayer like that. God didn't really come down in that way, Right? We don't have any historical records that God came down in this form, riding on a cherubim to rescue David. That's not anywhere in the narrative. But that's the picture that David has when he's praying to God and God acts on those prayers and comes down and rescues him from his enemies. That's the picture that he has. God from his throne coming down with great care to rescue him. That's the picture in Revelation 8 that's going to happen on a much grander scale, not just for this individual David, but for all the saints in response to their prayers. I mean, that encourages me that I can pray today for these type of things, and I don't have to wait completely for the future for flashes of lightning and rumblings and earthquakes to happen, for God to come and move in mighty ways in my life. David says, Revelation 8, that stuff's already happening in my life. I've already got the God of the the throne working in ways like that in my life right now. I don't have to wait in the future for that to happen. He's moving and acting that way now. 
And how much more should we be in prayer for the things that we know God wants to do if we know that God will act and move today and in the future? Let's, let's pray, and then I'll give you family worship questions. God, we praise you and thank you so much for the truth, the reassurance that our prayers matter before you, that you know what we're going through, that you're sympathetic towards what we're going through, and that ultimately one day you are going to come and put an end to everything we would describe as what we are going through. But God, we're so grateful and thankful for someone like David who wrote inspired in such a way to connect something like Revelation 8 to the past, for us to see that we don't have to wait for the future for you to act in our life today. That that can happen right now as we pray according to your will, you desire to respond because it's your will. You desire to carry it out in our life. And I pray that you would empower us to pray, that you would protect us from wanting to see your immediate results, that you would motivate us to pray out of obedience, that we would pray encouraged knowing that our prayers go before the throne that you hear them, that you, that you put great care and value upon them, that you put them in a golden bowl for, for lack of a better picture. God, I pray that we'd be encouraged by prayers that have been answered in the past and that we'd be motivated to continue to pray in the future. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your perfect plans that you don't make knee-jerk reactions. You've, you've carefully thought out what you're planning to do and that, you come, that it comes from um, perfect wisdom. We thank you that you're going to rescue the faithful. You're going to rescue the saints. You're going to bring salvation. We thank you that we have much to look forward to. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.